What's going on, everybody? My name is Courtney McIntosh, and this is another episode of the Black Dad Chronicles. Um, I have a guest with us today. Um, he is a pastor. He is a, a brother, doctor, reverend, as we say. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Jose Dorsey, how you doing today, sir? I'm doing really good, man. It's an honor and a pleasure to actually um, have this time with you. Oh, yeah, man, no doubt. We've been trying to plan this for a while, you know, and it's like the stars align today, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so how you doing? Good. Good, good. Yeah, real good. All right, so tell the people about yourself. Who is Jose Dorsey? Well, Jose Dorsey is um, actually one of my one of my most profound experiences uh, of in, in my own identity is being a pastor of Center of Spirit and Truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, well, I won't say always, I knew this day was coming. I just didn't know that it would be here. Um, many opportunities to pastor other churches, but you know, here it is, a small, intimate congregation. You know, I fell in love with you guys, and so I, um, I'm a pastor of this church. But I'm also uh, in my own, uh, not in my own time, but in my career, I'm an investigator with Homeland Security. That's kind of cool. Um, but uh, outside of outside of that, I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur. I own a, a business. It's a um, it's an entertainment business where we DJ a lot of like uh, weddings and you know parties and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and I'm a, I'm also a, I'm also a dad. Hey. So hey, that's the point of having you on, man. Yep. You're a dad, you know. So how many kids you got? Oh, you, we talking biological? Yeah. <laughs> or so and and another thing, because uh, uh, you know, it's not a lot. I mean, it doesn't take much to be. A positive influence or a father figure in somebody else's life. Right. Now it does take an investment on uh, your time. Um, you know, a lot of times your talents. Like I had an interview with a, a friend of mine, Darren, which that's the lost audio. So I got to get him back on the podcast. But one of his main influences in his life growing up was his, one of his coaches, his first football coach. So doesn't have to be. You know, you know. Yeah, how many biological kids do you have? But I, I know. Um, we all have friends and who have kids who, oh, that's my nieces, my nephews, stuff like that. And we yeah. try to, you know, be a positive in, in their life. So, biologically, how many kids do you have? I have five biological five. children. Okay, so what's the breakdown? Well, I have four boys and one girl. Mm, okay, okay. And who's the oldest? The oldest is uh, my son. I have a son that's 25 years old. Oh, okay, okay. And your youngest? youngest is uh, 16. Ah. Yeah, I'm kind of old. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you look at this guy, he looks younger than I am. And people tell me I look young. Um, so, um, all right. So, uh, how was the Dorsey household growing up? Truthfully, the, the Dorsey household growing up was really dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from living in the projects for most of my uh, adolescent. Now, are you life. from Detroit? I'm from Detroit. Okay. Grew up in um, most of the projects on the on the east Detroit's east side. Okay. Like the Buffalo Court projects, the Brewsters, the uh, Palmer Park projects, mm. Herman Gardens. Mm. But I spent most of my time over there in the uh, Buffalo projects. They the former the former name the formal name was the Charles Terrace. Okay. Um, uh, housing uh, development, but uh, yeah, I, I grew up there, and it was it was very dysfunctional because. My parents, they really weren't good parents. Like okay. my dad was, he was a gambler, and um, you know he was he was all about swindling people out of money and chasing women. He was a big womanizer. Mm-hmm. 
my mom was, you know, she was an alcoholic and into, you know, the different men. So they separated at a, at a very young age, maybe about five years old. Mm-hmm. And so um, I basically was in a situation where my brother, one of my brothers was taken out of the household. I was the oldest. Okay. One of my brothers was taken out of the household because um, he threatened to kill himself. He said, I'm not coming back to the household. Okay. Well, how many siblings do you have? I have two brothers. Okay. Okay. And so my other brother went to stay with my mom. So we got one one child staying with my dad, me. Mm-hmm. The other child staying with my mom, and then the middle son, um, my middle brother, he was uh, taken by the state. Okay. Okay. So you know it was it was it was very uh, dysfunctional because uh, only thing I had really was around ra- around me was my dad. Okay. And my dad exhibited all the negative things. So. Um, I, I didn't look to him as, you know, uh, a, a motivating factor in my life. Okay, so how was your relationship? Uh, were you and your siblings close? We weren't close, but I won't say we was distant either. I mean, we, we loved each other. We can only love each other from a distance. We had to see my, my middle brother when um, when we got a chance to go see him because mm-hmm. he was a ward of the state. But um, me and my other brother, when we were around each other, I mean, it wasn't a, we didn't miss a beat. Okay. Know, no love lost. Okay, so now, how did that affect you seeing that, because, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of guys, not, not, not a lot of guys necessarily, but there are, are people in situations where um, they do have certain kids, you know, they have kids, um, but they don't have custody of all of them. Um, so as a child, how did that affect you, you know, seeing that, you know, you and your brothers weren't together, you know? It really made me uh, very angry mm-hmm. with my father. Um, it, it didn't play out. It was just some inner emotions that I had that I never actually uh, released. Okay. But, you know, I, I was upset because my father could have actually um, got my brother, and he chose not to. Oh. And so, you know, it, 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 it added to the dysfunctionality, you know, in our household. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always knew that um, from the things that my dad did growing up, I wanted to give my children everything that we never received. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, uh, so one of the things I'm realizing is that that statement that you just said means a lot of things for a lot of different people. You know, a lot of people say, you know, I got to give my kids everything that they never had. And they, you know, shower their kids with gifts, yeah. um, you know, or just... Whatever, you know, my, in my instance, you know, I was growing up and I was like, man, you know, I'm going to give my kids, you know, what I wanted most, you know what I'm saying? And it wasn't, you know, it took me a while to realize that it wasn't, you know, the gifts or the money. It was a father. I really wanted, because, you know, my mom and my dad split when my sister and I were four. Um, We moved up here from Texas. He moved to Las Vegas. And then he died when I was 10. So it was like the thing that I wanted most was, you know, a father, you know. So, but, you know, a lot of people, because my brother, you know, we can contrast that. My brother is like, I want to give my son everything that I never had. And he just, you know, he uses that, you know, and, and buys the physical things, you know. So, but, you know, that's different for different people. So, well, if, and, I can, if I can jump in there mm-hmm. real quick. Um, 1984. Okay. The Tigers won the World Series, yep. man. I never forget it. Um, Lance Paris, Chet Lemon, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all these like big names. Yeah, you know, they, I, I remember those because in 1984, that was the year that my dad was my best friend. 
Okay. Right? Good. So this little boy, my dad actually took some time out to, you know, he bought me a glove. He came out and threw the ball with me a little bit more than he had ever done in any other year. We'd okay. sit down and watch the games together. But that's really about the only year that I can remember that we did stuff like that. Okay, so what and did so, you use for, like, you know, because a lot of people try to find escapes, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of people in our situations, you know, young, black, in the, in the inner city, they turn to sports as an escape. You know what I'm saying? So, what did you have? Was sports your escape? Or, because I know that you just referenced, you know, the, the 84 Tigers and, and that feeling that it brought to the city and that feeling that it brought to you. Um, what was your escape? Well, uh, actually, uh, you would, <laughs> in, the, in the projects, you, you really, we didn't have many TVs. Mm-hmm. And so I just go out there and make what we call ghetto games. Right, you, right. You roll a tire down the street, <laughs> an old tire, and hope that you don't hurt your hands doing it. But yeah. you know, we made little ghetto ghetto games. So it was it was different um, friends, you know, from around the projects. And those were those were pastimes. Sometimes it was sports. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a really big sport oriented person though. Mm-hmm. So you know, it was it was just being around you know other people, other people that had different issues, just like me. Right. When you was in the projects, you didn't have to worry about people talking about you because you both lived in a project. Right, you right. both come from an oppressed environment. Yep. So you were hanging around like-minded people, and it just it didn't make it feel so bad. Okay. Um, now, I know a lot of times um, when a child is, uh, you know, separated from a parent, because I know for a long time I had some deep-seated, like, resentment towards my father, and I didn't know how to express it, um, and... Finally, it was like maybe Father's Day on, in 2006, yeah. um, I, I just had a breakdown, man. It was in the in the parking lot after church. We had this big, you know, Father's Day, you know, thing at church. And I just, I, I couldn't take it. I had to leave and I just broke down because I, you know, it was like all those issues that I had with my father not being there and then him dying, you know what I'm saying, if I just... You know, I had some resentment that I didn't know I had, and it yeah. just all bubbled to the surface, man. So, uh, how did that reflect? I mean, how did that affect your relationship with your moms? Um, the relationship with my dad didn't really um, have an impact on the relationship with my mom, okay, or or, or vice versa. Okay, um, I, I was always upset with him, and truthfully, if, if I'm honest, and this this is a statement that I don't usually you know make in too many forms, but. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't forgive my dad for a lot of that stuff until he was until he died. Oh, okay. So there he was laying there, you know, and I and I, and I preached about this several times, struggling with you know forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That was one of the first times that I remember actually being able to forgive okay. anybody. Is when my dad died. Mm. I had to just let all that stuff go, and it's a good thing I did because I think it would have consumed me. Yeah, that's deep, man. All right, so um, you know, your oldest is twenty five. Right, Jose Junior. How old were you when he was born? Oh, I, I was seventeen. Yeah, I was seventeen when he was born. Okay, young parent. Yep. All right, so um, wait a minute. I think I'm wrong. I was sixteen when he was born. I turned seventeen later on in the year. Okay, so growing up, um, as you got older, um, you know, you seeing your father and your mother you know, separated. You know, you your brother is not around. Um, did that affect how you like you know looked at women? How you affect how how uh, you approach relationships with other people? How did that affect you? 
Well, I, I come from an environment with my dad and my uncles where they always taught me to keep a spare and a pair. Mm -hmm. Now, that's four if you really count because you got your regular girl, mm -hmm. right? A spare is another person, that's two, mm -hmm. and a pair, yep. so that's four. <laughs> so that's the mentality. And so I would approach relationships with that mentality. Okay. So, you know, I always had like, you know, a, a main, you know, my star, my starters, mm -hmm. and I also had bench players. <laughs> All right. And so, you know, it, it, it really, I, I believe it contributed to um, being addicted to sex at a very young age. I had a sexual addiction, and I really didn't know it until after growing up with it and struggling with it and looking back on it. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, because, you know, in the black community, you know, seeing somebody, like talking to a shrink or... You know, just sitting down and talking to somebody, especially for men, for us, you know, it's kind of looked at as taboo, man. Yeah. And, you know, you spoke about, you know, having a sex addiction. Well, it was the same way with me because, you know, I had a porn addiction for a long time and I still struggle with it. Yeah. You know, but for the longest time, I couldn't see what it was. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, I just thought it was normal behavior, you know what I'm saying, for a teenager to do, you know what I'm saying? Because I didn't have a blueprint. I didn't have nobody showing me differently. And I got, I discovered my, my first porn probably when I was like 11. After, because my dad died when I was 10. Now, I, was, I was probably 10 because we went out to California for the funeral. Um, came back, we got some of his stuff shipped back to us. And, you know, lo and behold, it was three porn tapes. So, you know, I was interested. And we watched, me, my brother, and my sister just, you know, would sit up and, and watch him. And because we didn't know any better, right, you know what I'm saying? Right. So a lot of times in, in our community, we have issues, you know, and not just men either, women too. We have those issues that go, uh, you know, kind of like undiagnosed or unchecked until a lot of times it's too late. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, it's just one of those things. So you said you, uh, you dealt with it when you got older. So... How did you, so did it affect your relationship with uh, Jose's mom? It did not affect my relationship with, with his mom mm -hmm. um, to the point where that was what ended our relationship. Now, were you two the same age? Yes. Okay. No, no, I'm sorry, we was not. I was, um, I was 16, mm -hmm. and his mom, <laughs> actually she was 14. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. it, was, it was very early. But it didn't affect her because I... You know, I was in that puppy love kind of stage. And y'all were still kids, really. We, we were still kids, so, you know, I, I really wasn't having as much sex mm -hmm. at the time. So, she was she was good enough for me. Right. You know. So, um, no, it, 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 didn't, it didn't take root at that point. Okay. I was actually preaching to other fellas my age, like, man, you just need one girlfriend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, so, you know, Jose Jr. is 25. Uh, who's the next one? The next one is um is is Javon. Okay, how Javon. old is Javon? Javon is twenty two. Okay, so that's twenty one. Javon is twenty one. Okay, so that's four years past. So you know, um, Jose Junior is what four at this time. So how did that come about? Well, um, his uh, Jose's mom and I we decided to just break up. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sorry, I decided to break up with her. She was, uh, it's funny, she didn't do anything wrong to me, man. I just, I broke up with her because of how I was thinking about what I wanted for my son. Mm. 
she used to cuss her mother out. And I was thinking just one day, sporadically, if she will disrespect her mom who carried her for all that time and struggled, worked, did all the overtime just to make, you know, to take care of her, Mm -hmm. I don't have anything coming, you know, as her man. Right. And I decided, like, I don't want to be in a household where I'm arguing and fighting you know, with my wife or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't I don't want my child to be around me because uh-huh. I was around me. Okay. So because of that, man, I, I broke up with her. And I met um, Javon's mother, my other children's mother. I had all my other children by Janelle. Okay, okay. And um, she, was my, she was my high school sweetheart, actually. <laughs> uh-huh. And, um, you know, we, we, we got together. Uh, we didn't have any children until we was like 19 years old. Okay. We, we then had um, Javon, which is mine. Okay, so um, so what are some of the mistakes you made? Because, you know, it's different for you. You know, we have two different perspectives. See, you know, you were in the house with your father. Um, but he, you also said that he wasn't, you know, the greatest influence. So were you able to, like, watch his mistakes and apply them to your life as far as you, you know, raising, you know, your kids or... Um, did you have to look somewhere else or did you have someone else to, to follow? You know, did you have another role? Who are your role models? It, it's a combination of things now. Now, when I tell you this, I don't want you to think that I'm into pills and chlorophyll. Oh, my goodness. But, <laughs> but Bill Cosby, believe it or not, he was, he was one of my role models. I didn't have anybody to be a physical role model for me. So, you know, I looked at Bill Cosby and I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be, uh, uh, what was his name on the show? Cliff Huxtable. I wanted to be Cliff Huxtable mm-hmm. for Claire somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to like love on my kids and have them love on me. Like, Make corny dad yep, jokes. Yep, <laughs> stuff like that, man. Just like the Cosby Show. So it's a combination of things because when I when I looked at my dad, I said that I wanted to be ten times better of a dad than my dad was. Okay. So I treated like you know I. Even at this age, throughout their lives, every single interaction, I tell my kids, I love you. Mm-hmm. And they're not ashamed to do it back, regardless, you know, they're around their girlfriends or, you know, whatever. <laughs> because that's what's been in culture. It's been in culture because I felt like I was without love. So mm-hmm. I never wanted them to be without love. Right. Okay. Um, and that's a, that's a thing, you know. One of the things that you want to give your kids, you want to make sure you give your kids, you know what I'm saying? You want to make sure that they're loved. That, you know, they never have to want for anything. Um, all right, so let's transition. Mm-hmm. You know, Jose Jr. is four. Um, you get with your high school f- sweetheart, Janelle, right? Yep. All right, so um, then Javon's born, right? Yep. So how was that, man? you know, uh, being a father for the second time? Being a father for a second time, I wasn't... Because I know the first time was probably scary. Because, like, you know, I talked to a lot of guys. I have to, I have to stop you right there. Really? No, man. Really? It wasn't scary. Oh. It, was, it wasn't scary. Do only tell. The only thing that was scary is before he was born. Okay. Before Jay was born. Jose was born. So I was I was listening to so many people tell me, your life is going to be over. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, man, child support going to hit you. And they, they all the negativity came before. Okay. When that baby was born, man, I looked into his little eyes and. I even gave him my name, and mm-hmm. man, I said that I would die before I not give him everything. Okay. And so I realized growing up and hearing different stories from other people, even as like a, a teenager, 
ain't no rule book on this. Right. Right? So I realized that I have to just do the best I can. And somewhere in my heart, man, I thought that was good enough. Mm-hmm. And so that made it not be scary for me. I was not afraid. Okay. I was not afraid. So the second time around, you know, by this, I was at 16 years old. Everybody was telling me how proud of me they were because of the dad that I was. And so, like, being a dad for the second time, um, only thing I was worried about was money. Okay. But outside of that, I knew that the love that I had in me and the experiences that I had, that I was going to be, I was destined to be a good dad. Okay. Um, so, um, I, I've talked to a couple of people, and this is how I feel myself. Like, um, you know, I've had, I've done things, I've had dreams um, to do certain things, and they haven't worked out. You know, but the one thing that has worked out is me being a dad. I believe that becoming a father is probably the, I would probably have to say the the second best choice I've ever made. You know, since first best being, you know, giving my life to God, you know what I mean? Uh, but becoming a father is, you know, a close second for me, you know. And, and that's, it's, it's, it's beautiful to hear you say that. And, I, and a lot of guys, I hear, you know, say that. And that's the reason why I want to tell stories because, especially in our community, you know, the adage is, oh, man, you, you know, can't show emotion as a man. You can't cry, you know what I'm saying? You, you know, got to be hard. And every guy ain't like that, you know what I'm saying? And it's, it's weird because, you know, I look at my son and I see how awkward he is. I see how sensitive he is. And I'm like, you know. And I, sometimes I let that creep into the back of my mind and I, you know, I have to stop and think like I was the exact same way, you know? So having the, uh, the, the, the foresight and the wherewithal to, you know, break that, you know, that stigma and to be affectionate with the kids, you know, that's a beautiful thing. So, all right. So child number three. So now were, were you and Janelle married? Yeah, we got married when I went to the military. Okay, uh, yeah, military. So what branch did you join? Marine Corps. Ha uh-huh. ha. Uh-huh. Super five, super five. Yeah. All right. So how long were you in the Marines? I was in Marine Corps two years. Two years? Okay. Yeah, I got out of there. Oh, okay. <clears throat> um, so how did that shape you? Because the the people don't know that you know a lot of times people say, "Oh man, the military will make you a man," and uh, people have different experiences based on a branch. You know what I'm saying? I can tell you for from my own personal experience, being in the military made me be more punctual, taught me how to iron better. You know what I'm saying? It didn't help me be more responsible, you know. So how did the, the military shape you? The military actually um, gave me things that I was I went to the military looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of boot camp, my, my drill instructor told me. Um, you were in Paris like, Island? Oh, yeah, Paris okay. Island. I was one of the most elite recruits that he ever trained. Mm-hmm. And he told me that I was the, one of the most elite recruits because it wasn't no work for him to do when I got there. You know, everything like, you know, the thousand yard stare and all, I, I wanted that discipline. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I hungered for it. Mm. A lot of people, you know, they, they had to be molded in it. Yeah. I actually desired it. I wanted it. Okay. You know, I wanted them to yell. I wanted them to get, you know, behind me and, and like push me motivate me those are the things I was hungry for so um, it actually molded 
um, how I how I looked at life, mm-hmm. which I think affects how I was as a father. And what I mean by that is you talked about being hard and these certain personas that you know men are supposed to carry, like I'm um, not showing emotion and things mm-hmm. like that. Well, I did get some of that from the military. Okay. But how I looked at what is hard and what is not. See, before growing up in high school, you, you know, if you wore certain clothes or if you carried a certain attitude, had a certain swag, that was that had to, a lot to do with being hard. Right, right. When I went to the military, that shifted, that changed. Okay. That's one of the greatest gifts the military gave me. Mm. I didn't think of hard as a certain look or a certain attitude. I look at hard as actual certain mentality. Mm. You out there, you humping, we call them hump force marches. Mm-hmm. You in a force march for 20 miles. It's a black sun, it's a black flag day, mm. over 100 degrees outside. Oh, yeah. You got on fatigues, a brain bucket or a helmet, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got on a flak jacket carrying these weapons. And somewhere in your mind, you got to get the intestinal fortitude to keep putting one foot in front of the other to like actually finish that hump. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Oh, yeah. Hardcore is going into enemy territory, not knowing if you're coming back and still being able to focus on the mission. Now, I gotta be yeah, honest, man. Means. You know, I was I was an aircraft carrier, man. You know, I was relatively safe. Which one? Oh, John F. Kennedy. Kennedy. I was on Kennedy before too. I was on Kennedy, Carl Vets, and Abraham Lincoln. I was part of the last crew to to leave the Kennedy once he got decommissioned. I was actually the second to last group to leave. You know what I'm saying? So I missed that ship, man. You know, it was it had some fun times, and everybody, you know, I. Everybody's military experience is different. Like, to me, the military was like college, even though I went to college. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, people say college is the best four years of your life. You make great friends. And, you know, I went to college for two, and that's true. I still have friends who I can call friends to this day. But the the bond that you have when, you know, you're out on deployment for six months and you don't, you know what I'm saying, you don't see your family. You don't know when you're going to port. You know what I'm saying? You got to... And I was a part of like the... Because uh, I worked in the supply department. So I was uh, uh, part of the sit rep team. So, you know, pretty much what we did was got all the... Uh, all the... What is that? What is that? What is that? Uh, every Like all the, 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 the stock that came on board the okay. ship. So we... What would happen was because our ship was so big... Was that like logistics? Yep. We would have a supply ship come, you know, and basically pull up next to us, shoot lines out so they could send stuff through the hangar bay, right, on pallets. But then while that was happening, up top on the flight deck, you had helicopters dropping stuff. So, and that was part of the, I looked forward to that because it was fun. It was like an adventure, you know what I'm saying? It was an escape for the Monday inventory and seeing the same metal was out there on the flight deck, you know, just running. As soon as that helicopter dropped, running, taking the stick off, sending it back up, running back. They come through with the forklift. So, you know, my it was the military was fun to me, but I didn't get that discipline that you said that you got. And, you know, that's a common thing with, you know, the Marines, you know, because uh, my brother was a Marine. Yeah. And, you know. The Navy and Air Force get clowned because, you know, it's, it's the the softer two branches. You know what I'm saying? So, where were you stationed at? I was stationed in Bremerton, Washington. Mm. Um, detached from out of Silverdale, Washington. Which okay. Which is a naval submarine base. All right. And so, 
during this point, you're in the military. So how many kids do you have while you're in the military? Um, true. I, I still just had those uh, those two kids. Okay. I actually had a stepson because okay. um, Janelle had a son before we got together. So she had a son. I had a son. Mm -hmm. And then we got together and we had another child. Okay. So at I didn't um I didn't have my uh, second. I'm sorry, my yeah my second son by her, but my third son overall until we got out of was getting out of the military. We got out of the military. Okay, and that's Jante, right? Nope. No? Nope. No? Nope. Not Jante. Oh, all right. Nope, that's Trevor. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, Trevor. I, I'm going to knock him out. He was supposed to be in church today. Okay. <laughs> all right, so three kids, you know, and life for you. So what what's going on with you at that point? You get out of the military, you know, then, now what? Get out of the military. I got all of these um, ambitions toward getting on the police department. Mm -hmm. So instead, I went back to what I was good at, which was being the, uh, uh, in, in retail. I was really good at retail. Okay. I could sell a blind man prescription sunglasses, brother, back in the day. <laughs> so you know, I had to, I had to make my come back and like dig back in in the trenches where I knew I could make uh, good money at, take care of my family. So did you come back home? Did you come back to Detroit? Or? Yep, came okay. back to Detroit. Okay. Um, I could not stay in Washington because even though uh, Janelle and um, and our first two kids to get well, you know, her son and my son was there, I still had my first son here in Detroit. Mm, okay. So staying out there in Washington was not going to be good enough. For me. Okay. And it's funny you say that. Uh, a lot of people... You know, live separate from their kids, and I was stationed with guys who lived on the ship, you know, and they had, like, every, you know, it's like a four-year, you know, four years or so, um, but, you know, some guys had a, had a lifestyle. They were, you know, nearing the end of their careers, and they probably maybe had, like, two years ago or, or three years ago, and they would just come, and they would live on the boat for those three years, man, and I know that that had to be hard, and that's something that I never wanted to do, you know, when I enlist, Robin actually enlisted with me, um, but then she got pregnant, and, you know, they released her, so my mom was like, really, she really didn't want us to get married, you know, she thought, you know, maybe she thought we were too young, she was like, you know, you could be a father from afar, you know, and I looked at my dad, you know, not being physically there, and it's like, nah, I, yeah. I can't do that. And then, yeah. you know, it's kind of like the old adage was you got a girl pregnant, you marry her. You know what I'm saying? That's a real old school, you know, way of thinking that, you traditional. know, traditional, you know. So that's what I, I did. And, you know, I loved her, too. You know, I figured, you know, she was the one. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it was like, I, there's no way that I'm not, I'm going to have her and our kid live somewhere else. So, you know, I just took that as... That wasn't an option. So it's, it's good to see that, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. a lot of times, you know, some guys are just like, you know, it is what it is, you know. So, all right, so you get back here. you uh, a retail superstar. You know, what happens next? Uh, next, um, okay, Trevor, so Trevor's born about this time. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I actually, I, I get a foothold, man. I, I applied to the uh, Detroit Police Department several times. I get turned down, mm -hmm. but it don't stop me from trying over and over again. For various reasons, I got turned down, and it, it wasn't it wasn't clear why. Okay. The only reason why I went to the military was to get the skills to be able to come on to the police department. Right. So I'm still getting turned down, and so I applied to the Michigan State Police Department. Michigan State Police Department gave me a conditional offer of employment, 
and I was getting ready to start the academy. Okay. So, you know, I, I had big kahunas, man, because I went to a Detroit <laughs> Police Department and I talked to the commanding officer of the recruiting section. And I told him, I showed him my letter of a conditional offer from state police. I told him, listen, state police did a much deeper, intensive background investigation. Mm -hmm. And they found nothing that would, you know, bar me from this job. Right. What's up? Right. So then they, they look into my paperwork, man, and that day he offered me a spot. He nice. said, man, if you can just, you know, go down here and take the, 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 um, the physical agility test again, because that had expired. He said, man, we're going to point you to a cat. Nice, nice. That was a job I really wanted. So okay. I ended up getting on Detroit Police Department, and then um, Trevor's born at mm. when I graduated. Okay. <laughs> so how did that affect things as far as you know your job, or did it really? Um, not actually, actually not yet. It didn't really affect. Not I said Trevor was born. Jante was born. Okay. That's Jante. Um, it it really didn't. I was. I was still, I still had that, that young fire in me. Mm -hmm. I finally got the job that I always wanted. I always mm -hmm. wanted to be a protector out on the street, actually. I, I think of police as superheroes. Man. Yeah. And so I was a superhero, finally. And, and you know, so I, I, had, I had to experience my wild side being a superhero. Okay. You know, I was out there, like, I would be fighting in the streets, running across freeways, chasing oh, people, boy. fighting in alleys. <laughs> I got stabbed on the Detroit Police Department, shot at, shot somebody. So, you know, um, I was I was out there doing those type of things. But um, it didn't really change um, how I looked at, at fatherhood, except for I felt like I was doing something. Okay. And, and my, my children always um, looked at me positively for, for doing the things I did on the police department, too. Okay. Because, you know, you know, back in the day, man, like... One thing that you're seeing now uh, is the disconnect between our community and the police force. And I can honestly say that because I grew up Linwood and Sturdivant. That's the hood. You know what I'm saying? And the police would come around and it was never negative. First of all, we really, you saw white cops, you know what I'm saying? But you saw more black cops than you did, you know what I'm saying? White cops. And I think that was, you know, that was a positive thing because we could see somebody that looked like us and they weren't always out there on the corner, you know what I'm saying, or, you know, mistreating people. And these guys actually came into the community and they didn't harass the kids. They, they talked to us, you know, tried to steer us out of trouble because we, you know, I live right across the street from the, from the neighborhood dope house. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So, um... One of the one of the first times I ever saw like gang violence, you know what I'm saying, in my neighborhood was I woke up one in the morning and dude across the street was and, and his, you know, the dope man, neighborhood dope man, uh, I'm not gonna name him, but him, his brother, you know, it was their mother's house. I saw one night, one in the morning, it was him, the two of them and another guy just beating a dude up on my front lawn. You know what I'm saying? At like one in the morning. That's like really the first time I, I saw something like um, but you know, cops were always looked at, yeah, NWA was out, you know what I'm saying? But in my neighborhood, that wasn't Compton, you know? Yeah. And, and so we had a positive rapport with the, with the police and, and now it's, you know, it's changed because it seems like you see more, you know, more and more white faces and, and police in the inner city 
and it's not a race thing, you know what I'm saying? But sometimes it is it makes you more comfortable when you see somebody that looks like you. Yeah. That's why I'm always trying to find um, you know, black role models, you know, for my kids to aspire to. Um and I I'm in one of the, my big things that I'm into is comic books. So I made it a point to find, you know, to not only, you know, look at the the regular, you know, white, you know, comic book head figures, you know what I'm saying, but find, really go and find, you know, comic book characters that look like me, so like, you know, not only my kids can see that, but like my nieces, my nephews, anybody else I can introduce to the world of comics can see that, because like, you know, my best friend told me that, you know, his kids are eight and five, and he told me like, you know, he was kind of saddened because his son was like, Dad, it ain't no black superheroes. You can't be black and be a superhero. Right. And so, you know, that kind of like, that that made me feel a kind of way. So, you know what? I just was like, yo, I got some books for you. So I started sending them stuff and send them just so his kids could see that because we don't see a lot of positive images, you know what I'm saying, in our community. And, and President Obama was good for that. You know, that was one thing, like, I don't agree with all his policies, but it was like, you know, you, I never in my life ever thought I would see a black president. You yeah, know? you both. And it was just like, you know, one of, you know, uh, we need those images, you know what I'm saying? So, all right, so fast forward, you know, go from a retail superhero to a real life superhero, you know, <laughs> with the Detroit Police Department. So, you know, how is that affecting like your, your life at home? Um, there was a lot of things that I was going through that my family could not relate to, mm -hmm. but I didn't hold it against them. Mm -hmm. And so, like, um, when I when I got into a shooting at work, you know, you go through a lot of uh, psychological trauma, like mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress. But one of the things I believe helped me to get over that is thinking about my kids. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that you do, you, you tend to withdraw from people who don't want to be bothered, so you kind of retreat into this this social little hole. Mm -hmm. And so instead of doing that, I said, well, I don't want my situation to penalize my children. Right. So I would actually like force myself to interact with them. And I believe that the, the love and connection with them that I, that I had, um, at that time, it, it, it caused me to actually like, you know, get over that, um, that PTSD that I was going through. That's good, man. Cause you know, a, a lot of people struggle, especially one being in the military. Yeah. Then being on the police force, you know, that's got to be tough to deal. Now, did you, aside for, from that, did you talk to somebody? Well, well they made me talk to somebody okay. uh, when I had the shooting in okay. the police department. But they only give you, like, so many visits and, mm -hmm. and all of that. Now, I wasn't going to talk to somebody <laughs> right. because of how we look at, like, counseling and stuff like that. But I was, I was glad I did. But I don't, the counseling helped some. But I, I think it was really between God and family, particularly kids, that, that was the most influential factor for me getting beyond my PTSD. Right. Now, did you always, like, you know, depend on God that, like, you did? Yeah, since, like, I, was a, since I was a kid, man, uh, okay. that's the only thing that I really think um, kept me from selling dope or something like that. You know, I, I think it was God. I was always told that, you know, God had a, a specific purpose for my life, right. and I believed it. Right. Eight years old, I was walking through the projects to go to church by myself. Right. Nobody, they wasn't taking me to church. I was walking to church. Man. 
And I just, I just, I believed God since they told me he died on the cross for me. And so um, it, was, it was that simple for me. I don't have a profound story right. other than like somebody told me, I believed. Okay. That was it. So yeah, it was like, it was like God was a very big driving um, force and motivator throughout my entire life. Okay. Now let me ask you this. So I know, you know, being on the force in the city of Detroit, I know you had to see a lot of things, you know. Um, did you ever doubt God at any point? No. Okay. Because I can tell you, man, you know, dealing with certain things, and this is probably one of the things that kind of like drove me to the military, even though I, I don't consider myself patriotic. But September 11th was a really hard day for me. And I, I, can, I can remember, you know, what I did. I was working at Walgreens. Um, I, and I had the same routine. I would get off work, play video games to like maybe three, four in the morning, go to sleep, wake up at noon. Steve Harvey was on the Steve Harvey show. You know what I'm saying? So I would wake up, watch that every day, same routine. So I remember, you know, that day waking up and I'm turning the TV on expecting for St the Steve Harvey show to be on and the news is on. I'm like, man, what is going on, man? You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, movie on, so I'm like, I turn the channel, I'm like, man, why is this movie on every single channel? And yeah, then I, yeah. you know, I remember like, hold on, like, yo, this is real. Mm -hmm. So then I remember, man, um, September 12th was, I it was like, man, the breaking point for me. I, I questioned God. I wrote an angry letter to God. I, I talked to my mom about, you know, like, why would God let this happen? You know what I'm saying? So. It was, you know, I was in, I was, you know, in church growing up, but we weren't like super church folk, you know what I'm saying? It, we went as when we were little, and then the older I got, because I played church league basketball, I was like, I only went to church because it was like required to, you know what I'm saying? So it was in that moment that, you know, my mom had to sit down and explain to me, you know what I'm saying? why it happened, you know what I'm saying, why God would allow something like that to happen, and, you know, how we could use that to kind of, like, move forward, you know. Um, so let's fast forward. Uh, first, I want to give a shout-out to my sponsor for this episode, Relax by Jay Mace. So I've been telling y'all about uh, my boy Johnny Mason, and his custom handcrafted bracelets. He makes everything by hand. He does his research on the beads. Um, if you want, you know, some crystals or something, he got that. I'm wearing two, you know, bracelets I got for him now. Jose's wearing one. Um, and like I said, it's not like, you know, I'm getting free swag, so I'm pimping. You know what I'm saying? I, got, I actually spent my hard-earned cash to support my homeboy. And it because it look, they look good. I don't wear jewelry. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a flashy cat, but I, you know, I saw his bracelets and I'm like, okay, I could wear that with this. I can match it to my outfit and not draw crazy attention to myself. So if you want to get a bracelet from Johnny Mason, go to Instagram. He is jmace300 on Instagram, or you can go to his Facebook page, Relax by J Mace. You can see all his creations. You know, you can hit him directly. He gets back to you fast, and it doesn't take him long to do these bracelets. I was in the lab with him, you know, a couple weeks ago, and I actually was able to watch the process myself. So, and he does great quality work. I've never had 
a bracelet snap on me and I wear them all the time. I've never had one snap on me. I never had a bead fall off anything. So you want that good quality, um, that hot fire, you know, go to Relax by J. Mace to take care of all your beaded jewelry needs. Okay. So up until this point, you got all sons, right? Yeah. All sons. Find out you're having a daughter. What? How does that affect you? Having a daughter changed mm. the whole game. <laughs> the whole game. Okay. Because, um, as I told you, you know, I, I, I had the inner wildness, you mm -hmm. know, being on the street, young young cop. I was uh, I was one of the youngest sergeants at that time on Detroit Police Department, okay. and uh, you know I had my daughter and it, it just changed how I thought. I, without a second thought, I'd be like chasing a guy, man, through dark alleys, fighting in the streets. I had my daughter. I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute, and you know it was it was kind of convicting because you know. When she was born, it caused me to be very sensitive. I was much more sensitive. Okay. To not just her, you know, not just being a, a father, but to life itself. You know, I, I became like kind of more emotional. Softens you up a yeah, little bit. Yeah, quite a bit. Okay. A little bit. Quite a bit. <laughs> quite a bit. I'm like, I go from like, you know, doing manly boy, you know, boy stuff with my boys to cooling that dress as a target, man. Mm -hmm. So, you know. It it changed it changed the game up considerably. We we like I'm in the me and my daughter we we cooking in the kitchen with the twin aprons on. You know, mm, what I'm hey, I know about that. You, you know, it, it just it it, it, it totally changed. Um, it it changed my life. Okay. Um. Now, were you married to their mother? Yes. Okay. How long were you married? I was married for sixteen years. Oh man! Wow. Okay. Okay. So, um, so flat fast forward. Um, so. What happened as, you know what I'm saying, like your marriage is coming to the end? Okay, marriage coming to the end. Um, I was I was a cheater. Um, I, I was struggling with, with sexual addiction. Mm -hmm. And I, I, didn't, um, I didn't know how to deal with that. And, and truthfully, there's many psychological things that we don't actually realize about law enforcement mm -hmm. contributing to um, those type of dysfunctionalities in our lives. Um, for instance, uh, in law enforcement, we, we find that you know, they, they have a very high rate of divorce. Right. It's because many times um, the the the, um, the individual or the unique stressors, you know, it's really hard to actually do. Here I am. I'm called upon to be a, a protector, you know, in society. Um, what does it look like if I now ask someone for help? Right, right. So, so now I, I hold all of these things in mm -hmm. in some type of way they play out. Well, socially, uh, psychologically, they play out through our actions. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's that pinned up stress that, that comes through. It play out through sexual addiction. Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of cops become um, promiscuous. And so uh, me already dealing with um, sexual addiction and plus, you know, having to um, these other unique stressors. I'm not trying to make an excuse for it. I'm just, you know, saying exactly what. You know, right, what right, was. right. And you know, it's not, it's, it's not an excuse. It's like that's real life. You yeah. know what I'm saying? That's reality. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of people, oh man, you're just making excuses. No, I'm just, you know, telling you real life. You know, it's not like things are excused. Like, 
you know, I, I admitted on, you know, the podcast that I had with my wife, like, I was a habitual line stepper. You know, yeah. I didn't cheat, but I was tiptoeing at that line, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was because, it was kind of because, you know, I could, um, and I think it was also kind of because, you know, growing up, I wasn't, you know, the most attractive. I wasn't, you know, the most handsomest guy. What? I mean, you can't tell now, you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, I, I was like king of the friend zone. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, you know, I guess growing up, it was like, even though I was married, it was like, yo, she uh, she's showing some interest in me. She looking at your boy, you know, a, a type of way, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let me see what I can do, you know what I'm saying? Or, oh, okay, you know what I'm saying? This cutie, uh... Wanna wanna holler at me? I ain't gonna, you know what I'm saying. I ain't trying to have sex, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, wrong with you shout. Know, right, yeah. right. You know what yeah. I'm saying. You know, I, I was a habitual line stepper. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. So, um, but a lot of people won't admit that to either. You know what I'm saying. That, oh uh, man, you know, I was, you know, it's my fault. You know, because a lot of times we like to place blame on others. You know what I'm saying. I know I do it. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've done it before. Um, you know, but. Once you can, you know, be honest with yourself, you know what I'm saying, own it, you know what I'm saying, things will move fast, you know, things will will progress and move forward, you know what I'm saying. So, I was married for 16 years, coming to a divorce. So, I was was doing doing some cheating, Mm -hmm. but truthfully, on the end, I last probably about four, four years together. I um I made a decision to do better. I mm-hmm. wanted to be serious, more serious about about ministry, and because um, I was in ministry and I still had those struggles. See, people think that you know it's all over. Everything become peachy king when mm-hmm. you actually you know in ministry. No, it don't. It make it ten times harder. Okay. Take it, t- make it tougher. So you know, even in ministry, I wanted to just focus more on my relationship with God, and I started trying. The flip side is. She stopped. <laughs> so she started working out in the plant and out of working out in the plant, you know, the plant is its own culture. You no know, man. man, they say the plant is like the zoo. Man, <laughs> you know? That's an understatement. So she was working it and she got kind of caught up in that way. And I was telling her, listen, I'm, I'm at a serious point, you know, um, where I have to, I, I know I did things when we was younger, but I'm at a serious point where I have to like focus on ministry. Mm-hmm. I asked her to partner with me. Let's like let the past be the past, bygones be bygones, and she just couldn't give it up. Okay. And so I I, I left her behind. I went. I filed for the divorce. And okay. She divorced her. Okay. So so how does your uh, how does so how does that affect your relationship with your kids? Who got custody? You know. Uh, we well, sh- we both got custody. We both got fifty percent. So it's a joint thing. Yeah, it's a joint thing. Okay. And um, it it affects my relationship. It doesn't affect how I um, actually interact with them, okay. but it, it affects sometimes how they interact with me. Ah. Like I can feel some holding back out of like some some resentment right. of them not understanding or even desiring for me and their mom to uh, get a divorce. Okay. So. Okay. Um. So. Uh. So how your how's your relationship with with her now? Is it? Oh, we cool, man. We, okay. we crack up like we like old friends, man. We we laugh. Oh, we it's it's real. It's real cool. Well, I mean, because that bond is always there, yeah, you know. What I'm saying, absolutely. even though you know the love changes, and I've and I've gotten this from you know like several people I know. Yeah. 
you know, like the bond is always there. You know, the love may change. You know, you stop loving them, but you always got that bond, especially when you have kids. Well, I never unloved. I never unloved her, brother. I mm -hmm. never unloved her at all. I don't know how to unlove a person. I do know that the love will will transform, but right. it don't go away. I don't. I don't want to be with her, but I still love her. Right. I, I right. love her to this day, and. um you know, I, it's just that our our relationship, you know, transforms. She's not she's not my wife, or I don't sexually even desire her, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. But we still we still have a very cordial like family style even relationship. That's good. She even came to the church quite a few times. That's you know, good. That's she, good. She supports the ministry. She still believes. Okay. All right. So um, you you're married again. You know what I'm saying. So how long? So how long did you take a break? You know what I'm saying? After the divorce, did you just like, yo, I'm just going to focus on me. I'm just going to focus on God, you know what I'm saying? Or I need to find a new lady. You know what I'm saying? What was that process? I, I never actually, um, I never took a break. Really. Okay. I, I, I mean, I, I didn't take no break at all. Um, Sierra was uh, there when I was phasing out, um, you know, my ex-wife. Okay. In, in all honesty. So, you know, she had an opportunity to change. She refused to. And so we got into proceedings. And as the proceedings went on, then Sierra was kind of, kind of there. Okay. And then, you know, our relationship went to um, a whole new level. And I had this fear, man, because of the different um, struggles that I had. One is having a, a, a broken household. Mm -hmm. I didn't trust me, man. I had to be by myself. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I want to be transformed to a player. And so I, I, I felt like I needed to have, you know, a woman there. And as I look back, I, I'm not sure it's the, it's the, it was the best decision for those reasons. Mm -hmm. But I can definitely say that, you know, I, I wanted, I didn't want to be single and trying to pastor a church. Ah. Or, or single and trying to like, you know, go through my life. I, I want, I wanted to be married because... I just don't want to um, struggle, you know, in sexual addiction and feel like, you know, I'm single too. Right. I, I think it's just a breeding ground of torment. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I'm, I married Sierra uh, like instantly uh, after uh, after uh, I divorced Jamie. Okay, cause you know, so like my situation was like Robin came around. Like I met Robin when I was at work one day. Um, yeah, I was, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time, but it was kind of like just me looking for the first chance I could to lead a relationship, you know, and and that wasn't me per se, but it was just like, because I've always been the type of dude who I never wanted to be a player. I never wanted to like, you know, go around and, you know, sow my wild oats. I just wasn't into that, you know, um, so, you know, I'm trying to. You know, my, my girl is just like, man, and she was younger than me, and I was just like, dog, I can't do this. So, my mentor, Kenyatta, you know, was my manager at Walgreens, so he was like, hey, man. So, the next girl that comes in the store, get her number. I'm like, man, what? He's like, the next girl that comes in the store, get her number. So, the first girl that came in the store, I was like, I looked at him, he looked at me, because she was a regular customer. So we knew her, and she was kind of in the, you know, she was kind of out there because we developed her pictures. I worked in the photo department, and she was, you know, she was out there, you know. So 
I was like, uh, no. So it's then, yeah, it's not going to work at all. So Robin came in and walks this, you know, she was like really skinny, this bean pole. She had an afro, you know what I'm saying? And like, I'm like, dog. He was like, go for it. So she walks, she makes a beeline and comes directly to the photo counter. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? You know, chatting up, a little small talk. And I had, we have been slow the entire day. So she asked me to help her pull out some, uh, pick out some reprints. Because her grandma took some pictures of her. She had some negatives. You know, she wanted to fill out some reprints. So I sat there for like three hours helping her pick out these reprints. And I didn't get her a number at the end. And I was like, yo, can I get your number? You know, keep it so I can call you sometime. She was like, sure, go ahead. And I'm like, dang, I already put her information through the computer. And I can't remember what she said her name was. I'm like, well, write it down, you know. So, long story short, you know, we were friends first. You know what I'm saying? Robin would come over to the crib, and I was in college. So, she would come over to the crib, help me with my homework. You know what I'm saying? If I didn't, you know what I'm saying, have bus fare, she would drive me to school because I was going to WC3. Come over, play video games, hang out with me and the fellas. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, she was there for me when I couldn't count on, you know what I'm saying, my girl at the time, I'll never remember Valentine's Day. My girl like put me pushed me to the side. And she had a car. She made way more money than me. And and she lived out in Auburn Hills. But and as a matter of fact, like basically I live probably like five, six minutes from her house. Like she still lives in the same house, her parents still in the same house. Um my brother was cutting her son's hair, so I see her. Um, but it was just like Robin was always there, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, yeah, man, you know, and I, I, I didn't see it at first, you know, it was just friends and I was like, I think it's really something happening here. So, you know, yeah. you know, when you go to church with a girl, it's, that's it, that's it, that's it, man. So, all right. So you said you married Sierra, you know, almost immediately. Um, so how was that, how did that play over with your kids? Not good. No, no, bro. Okay. I can imagine. No, no. They, um, they, they couldn't stand Sierra. (laughs) Probably because I I think age had a lot to do with it. Okay. Like, so how much, so how much older than you? How many years? 10 years, 10 years spread. Okay. So, you know, she... (laughs) My oldest son, she's she's closer in age to my oldest son than we are to each other. Oh. So, you know, I think they're eight years apart and we're ten. Okay. So, you know, no one they they, they didn't they wasn't able to look at her in a in a parental role. Right. And so that kinda like had some some influence on, on our family um, kind of dynamics. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how's the relationship with them now? Now it's better. Okay. It's better. Um, they can have standard now. <laughs> 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 uh, they had a they had a moments, they ups and downs. Blended family is, is a is a challenge anyway. Okay. Um, statistically statistically it take anywhere from three to seven years to wow. start to norm when you have a blended family. Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, you and Sierra have been married what, almost four years, almost right? Three years. Okay. Any plans for kids for you two? Um, no. No? No. no. Ship a sail, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. 
Okay, okay. All right, so I'm getting down to the end. I only got a couple more questions for you. So, which one of your kids do you think mirrors you the most? Like, as far as, like, your personality goes, your actions, your mannerisms. Which one of your kids do you think mirrors you the most? I don't, I can't give us a, a certain kid, man. I, I feel like, I feel like God took a lot of my, my different characteristics mm -hmm. and just shotgun blasted it <laughs> through the kids. Man, I can see, like, I don't, I don't see one kid having, like, you know, um, one specific thing. Nope. Okay. Like I can see like little little pieces of me in each and every one. Of them. Okay. So <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm sorry. I hope I answered your question. No, I mean yeah. Like, I mean hey, yeah. I you know I look at my kids and I'm like, cause and it's one of the funny things is like, all your kids look exactly like you, oh, wow. except for Jose. You know, my kids and I don't know if you struggle with this. Like, I don't think my my kids don't really look like me. They did. Growing up, especially CJ, but now all of them look like Robin. I'm like looking at pictures. I'm like, okay, CJ is my complexion. Liv is my complexion, but it's like, man, y'all look just like her, man. You know where I'm at. You know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. So, two more questions. Well, one more question. Then I always ask everybody a bonus question. Okay. All right. So, last question. If you could sum up fatherhood. In one word, what would it be? Challenging. Challenging? That's different. It's challenging. Okay. I think it's challenging because it, it takes a person to have um, a good balance. I mean, you're you're like a you're like a juggler. You you have you have to juggle um, life circumstances that is coming at mm -hmm. you. You have to juggle your own emotions. You have to juggle your relationship with God. You have to juggle your relationship with your spouse because that's something that impacts your children too. Mm -hmm. You have to juggle all of these different factors and, 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 and be good at juggling too because you drop one thing at any given time, you can cause an adverse effect mm -hmm. on your children. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's very challenging to like you know keep all of these different principles in motion at the same time and still be able to be intentional and purposeful toward, you know, developing your children and preparing them to be productive members of society, preparing them to have a relationship with God, actually like preparing them to be, you know, successful, you know, as an individual. That's a real good answer. And it's an answer that I haven't heard before. Wow. That's wow. a dope answer. All right, so I'm trying to think of a bonus question, because, you know, all the bonus questions always come out of the blue, right? Okay. Um, so, if I could think of one bonus question to ask you, just kind of, you know, I, I guess I got to go with this one. Because, you you know, you've I've seen you use both, and we had, we've talked about this. Okay. iPhone or Android? <laughs> and why? Oh, it got to definitely be Android, man. <laughs> I, 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 I'm prejudiced against... Uh, team Android yeah, over I'm here? Yeah, team Android all day, all day, every day. And okay. the reason being... I, see, I got a reason for almost anything. Okay. And my reason is because the, the interface is different. I, right. I, I think it's more user-friendly. It's more simple. Um, you actually have more tools. Um, if you look at Android against uh, iPhone, you got like, more features. I can say um, iPhone is more secure, mm -hmm. but that's it. 
<laughs> All right, man. Yeah, I'm rocking Team Android. I, I, you know, I had a little dalliance with the iPhone, but yeah. you know, I had to come back home. You yeah, know? yeah. Welcome home. All right, so, um, Jose, I want to thank you for very much for, um, you know, becoming, you know, coming on the podcast, uh, telling your story, you know, because I think that, and the reason why I do this is because I feel like every man has a story. And a lot of times, especially in our community, you know, we don't have an outlet to tell those stories and, or, and, or, you know, people act like our stories aren't important. And I want to change that narrative. So I want to thank you for, you know, coming on the podcast, being real, being honest, man, you know, because, hey, some people, you know, could be scared to do that uh, because it, it takes it's hard looking in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? It takes courage looking in the mirror and just being honest with yourself. So I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. So you. tell the people where they can find you before we go. Um, you can find me at, um, you can find me on Facebook, Jose Dorsey, or you can also find me right here at the Center of Spirit and Truth, mm-hmm. 11663 Arcola in uh, Livonia, Michigan. Every Sunday. Every Sunday. Looking for a place where you want people to love on you. You want to, actually be a part of something that's genuine um you know you don't you don't want all the facades and all that stuff want to truly come and worship god you know we're here for you and that's one of the reasons why i love our church because you know we we may not be big in number but we're big on love and big in family um so you know if you can get here come join us uh you can join you know like the facebook page and watch us live stream every sunday um and you got another business too. Tell the people about that. Sweet. And you have a show your own yourself. So t- you know, tell, tell about, about that. that. Yeah, man. All right, Sweeps Entertainment. You can find us also on uh, Facebook. Um, we have very low cost um, DJ and uh, entertainment prices. Um, very much under the market. Actually, I don't really do it so much for the money. I do it because I love interacting with people. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. Um, it, it's a great business. I did it initially to uh, a mentor to my kids and entrepreneurship. They said they didn't want to do it, but, you know, so I got stuck with it, but it's actually, it does very well. Um, for every one event we do, we usually get like five to ten referrals. Okay. So, you know, it, it's doing very well. And I also have a show, it's called Theologically Speaking with Jose Dorsey. Mm-hmm. Um, shameless plug, I want you to be on my show. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> but um, it, it happens every uh, Thursday from 6.30 to 7 o'clock p.m. And um, it's the, every first and third Thursday. So theologically speaking with Jose Dorsey, I want to feature the Black Dad Chronicles on there, where I just give you, I want to do a show takeover, man. I want to just yield my whole half an hour over to you to do what you want to do. I mean, hey, you know, it's just, thanks, I'm honored. Uh, I don't know what I'll talk about, you know, but, you know. Black Dads. Hey, man, man, you know, that's what I do. So let me ask you this before we go. How long have you been DJing? Man, I've been DJing for probably about four years, four or five years. Okay, so what what made you start DJing? I truthfully met this DJ, and um, he saw me. Uh, I was running something called a day auction. I was emceeing it. Okay. And he said, man, he said, you a crazy MC. Do you know how much money you can make just emceeing? I said, no. Nah. He said, man, you could like, do TV shows and radio and stuff like that. Because you do have, you have a voice for that. And you have a certain charisma about you, you know what I'm saying, and a a certain swag that I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he's like, man, do you know what you can do with that? 
like, no, man. He's like, dude, he's like, how much do you charge? How much would you charge me to come do some events with me? And at first, I didn't even charge him because I didn't know what to charge. It was, right. it was just fun for me. So I came out with him, and then he just he hired me. He, you know, I, and I, I would get paid like fifty dollars, a hundred dollars. It was just basically for fun. Pay my gas, right? You know, and I'm happy. Yeah. So I, I did that, and so his his in his business, he went from um, doing maybe a booking every other week. To, I help him all, more than quadruple his business nice. emceeing with him. Nice. So he was going to like, you know, three and four bookings in one day. Nice. You know, being filled up, cold calendar filled up. Okay. So I, I asked him to partner with him. And he didn't want to partner with me. And so I said, wow, you know, it, before I go out and just make him all the money, right. you know, I, I should I should actually, because I sell, I don't sell like a DJ. Anybody can get an iPod and DJ or a computer and DJ. Right. I sell an entertainment experience okay. from, from, from the very first time we sit down and we lay out an itinerary to, you know, how the logistics and how we set up to, you know, interacting with the crowd and actually having an overall DJ experience. Somebody might be able to scratch better than me. They can't entertain better than me. Nice. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it here. Uh, Sweeps Entertainment. Um, uh, you got the website, right? Uh, no, or just, I, just use, I use just, just use Facebook. Okay, all right. Um, well, once again, Brother Dorsey, I want to thank you so much for joining the podcast. God bless you, brother. And happy Father's Day because we're recording happy this Father's on Father's Day. Day. Happy so, Father's Day to all the fathers. Yeah, happy Father's Day. I did release a, a Father's Day episode. You can find that at the Black Dad Chronicles uh, on Facebook. You can also follow me on Instagram at the Black Dad Chronicles. You can follow me on Twitter at Black Dad Cron. Like I said, I'm thinking about changing the handle because Twitter won't let me use Black Dad Chronicles. Um, so just uh, you can email me at blackdadchronicles at gmail.com. Join the conversation. I want to tell your stories, fellas. Um, ladies, if you know a dad, if you want, if you, if you want, you know, your dad has an, an incredible story, an amazing story, maybe your brother, you know, your, your spouse, um, uncle cousins whoever you know i would love to tell their story uh, on the podcast so i want to thank you guys for listening thanks for all showing all the love that you've shown me peace i'm gonna let this intro ride out i'm not gonna spit no bars over it this time because i can't rap peace out